you have heard me say in this part of the book of Hebrews how the writer seems to end what we think of as one paragraph and then explode it, explain it in the next paragraph. And so the paragraph that, or the verse that ended in the latter part of verse 3 of chapter 7, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See, we're looking at Jesus Christ as that great high priest who is not modeled after, but he is the model for Melchizedek. See, Melchizedek resembles the Son of God, who is an eternal priest. I think sometimes in the church we have neglected to see Jesus as the king who wears priest's clothing. Sometimes we just want that powerful image of a king and we forget that he comes also as a priest who represents us in the most holy places of God. The one who has thrown out the anchor, who is there. And so when we look at this passage, um, oftentimes it will take all week as I move words and ideas around in a sentence to put it in my mind, and what I ended up yesterday, which doesn't mean if I waited longer I might not change it, but what I ended up with yesterday is that Jesus as our high priest and king elevates all his blessed children of covenant promise in life and ministry with the end to a religious bloodline aristocracy. I've chosen those words, particularly at the end, the end of a religious bloodline aristocracy, the end of the Aaronic priesthood, those, come, those, those men that come from Aaron who come from the tribe of Levi. They have been the, rich, the religious leaders declared by God. But yet what we see in the book of Hebrews is the reorganization of the worship of God and the people of God based on what is in heaven which was reflected. And this shows how the Levites, how the, the priests that are the sons of Aaron through blood, that all of that is being overturned because he says Jesus was the pattern for Melchizedek and Melchizedek was the one who came out and did two things. Two things that are involved in worship. He received a gift. Remember in chapter 14 we had this great battle where Abraham and his comrades, his men at arms, come up against these five kings and they win and they free the people. These people that have been kidnapped, taken away, who are now free. But he takes all the booty and he takes 10% of it. And notice we're not told what the 10% looked like. But it was a tithe that was given to this priest that comes out to do what? To bless Abraham. So Melchizedek received a tithe. 
And Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Now, Abraham, of course, to us is very important because he is the man of faith. He is the man that the covenant is made to, that the Redeemer is going to come through. But here in this passage, the idea of who pays tithes to who and who blesses who. Now, as I was thinking about this, I said, maybe what I should do is just stand up and say, go back and listen to the sermon series on giving and go back and learn, listen to the sermon series on the covenant of Abraham. And you got a couple. We've had in-depth sermons and discussions about these two areas that are mentioned in this passage about who Melchizedek was. See, I think that verse 7 is one of the important verses, or the most important verses in 4 through 10. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. You see, when we look at being blessed and giving tithes, the writer of Hebrews talks about the blessing, that that's important, that that has real meaning. And you remember those eight sermons on benedictions, on being blessed, that it is a proclamation of a covenant promise in a gospel context. That we are blessed people. Now, when I was putting the sentence together and thinking about what is in this passage, Melchizedek came out to bless someone who already has promises, what the text tells us. See, Abraham is already in some ways been blessed by God, but, but God sends him out. Listen to the blessing from Genesis 14, starting at 18, but I'm going to read start at the latter part of 19. Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. See, he's blessing Abraham and he's pronouncing a benediction, a praise to God. Now, all of this with Abraham and Melchizedek is happening sometime between 2000 and 1800 B.C. The next message mention of Melchizedek, you move forward to about 1000 B.C. to David in Psalm 110, when, the, when he's speaking about the coming Lord. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This Melchizedek priesthood is something that we saw in Genesis 14, we'll just say 2,000. At 1,000, we have this sentence by David, the Lord has sworn and will not change it, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, reminding us of that, but reminding us of getting us ready for the incarnation because at the beginning of Psalm 110, it says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's that whole question of lordship, of who's superior. And then we come 
in the writer of Hebrews who brings it up and reminds us and tells us that Melchizedek himself was a shadow resembled Christ. Now, why is that important to us? I think it's important for two reasons. When we think about the worship that we have done, when we repent of our sins, we turn away from our sins and turn to Christ. We want to what? Resemble, be the shadow of Christ. We want Christ to be in our lives. We talk about union with Christ, that I am in Christ, that Christ is in me. All of those words that tie up our relationship and the promises God has made. And so we, we have that in Jesus Christ. Because it's then, remember in the assurance of pardon from Revelation, it talks about creating what? A kingdom of priests. In other words, we're going to have a whole nation of Melchizedek's. That's who you and I are, is this kingdom of priests. And so we are to reflect Jesus Christ the same way Melchizedek is. We don't have to feel, and this is what Jesus, Jesus, Holy Spirit, what God is saying to the people through the writer of Hebrews it's just because you weren't born an Israelite doesn't mean you're a second-class citizen in either the family of God or the nation of God or the church of God. Do you understand how important that is to people all over the world? When we think about the people who were the first ones in their tribe, in their family, in their village, in their language group, to say Jesus is Lord. I want to reflect Jesus. I want to be a child of the covenant. I want to repent of my sins and be forgiven. See how this opens it up for Matthew 28, the Great Commission, when we go out. We can really say to people, you didn't, doesn't matter who your parents were, you can be children of God. How many people today do we know grow up with what we call shame issues, grow up with family issues, grow up with broken families, and they they wonder, where do I fit in? We have loneliness. We have an epidemic, in Scotland at least, of male suicides. People just giving up. But the gospel says no. It's all by faith that he brings you into the family Because one of the things that we remember Peter said on Pentecost, the promise is to you and to your children. So families are important. We want our families to be conveyors of the gospel. We want parents to disciple their children so that they too reflect Jesus. They resemble Jesus the way Melchizedek did. See, it's odd for an American in Scotland, knowing that there are hereditary aristocracies. When I go to these castles and 
you know, they've had somebody for five or eight hundred years that is the family members have been there. And when I look at my ancestors and know about just eight generations coming back to Scotland, eight generations of stories of people being Christians, eight generations of people who were Presbyterians. I know that the choice in each generation is always by faith. See, God worked in Melchizedek's life in such a way that he was there when God needed him to be there to receive the gift and to give the blessing. When you look at Genesis 14 and Psalm 110 and now here in Hebrews 7, you see this continuity. And the continuity is God. The continuity is God and his grace. Melchizedek has this 30 minutes of fame in receiving the tithe and blessing. And he's, he's not mentioned any among because Abraham is where the story is. But you see, even there, he's showing us that it still is all nations, that there are people out of the bloodline who can bless the bloodline, people out of the bloodline that can have faith in the God Most High. We need to understand how encouraging that can be to people who today see no value in their family, see no value in their community, who feel completely left out and lost. But yet a story like this is so powerful. When we think about the acts of what Abraham did after this victory, is he gives a tenth. He gives a tenth, not because God says you need to do this, but it's a thanksgiving offering. It is an offering of thanks. It is an act of worship. And I think that's one of the things when we look back at those four sermons on, on giving and on, on sharing our wealth, caring for the poor, That in the New Testament, in the world that we live in, it is a gift of thanks. To say, God, here is how I can worship you with, we often say, with our tithes and offerings, we need to give it to you. God doesn't give you a bill and say, if you don't pay this bill, you don't get your salvation. If you don't pay this bill, you're going to spend time away from heaven after you die. He doesn't say that. We know we can't buy our way into heaven, but we give because God has been gracious. Now, very few of us have experienced that walking away from a battle alive when you weren't sure what it was going to be like. Because this is the only battle that we know that Abraham and his, his men went into, but they won against five kings. Abraham was not a king. He was a shepherd. He was the head of a clan. 
And God protected him. It's part of what the blessing is all about. Because he reminds us who has delivered your enemies into your hand. You see, the blessing was so that Abraham did not get all puffed up. Now, one of the things that happened was that Abraham did not get all puffed up because God begins, and again, we had a sermon on this, in Genesis 15, when he tells him, he starts off, he's just won this great battle, he's just been blessed. But what does God say in Genesis 15? Fear not. Here is a powerful, rich man that God looks into his heart and says, fear not. How many of us have learned to hide our fears? How many of us have learned to deny our fears and need to hear that word from God, fear not? Because the Lord has delivered you from your enemies and our enemy is sin and death and God has delivered us from that through Jesus Christ. Now, The idea that we are a kingdom of priests, that we are priests forever, like Melchizedek, means that we have direct access into the Holy of Holies. That we can go into the presence of God because of the blood of Christ. And see, that's the place we want to run to, we want to go to. And we think about personal devotions, family devotions. It is when you go into that holy place, Because the curtain has been torn open when Christ died on the cross. Remember how people would die if you touched the tabernacle? Now we are invited in. That's where we belong. Because we're a kingdom of priests. God takes outsiders and turns all of us, all of us, into priests. That's one of the most powerful things about the Protestant Reformation was the priesthood of all believers. Because a priest is made by God. And God says, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. So when we feel fear, when we feel loneliness... We need to metaphorically put on our priest clothes and run into the most holy place where God is and know that we can be in the presence of the God who has adopted us, who has bought us through the blood of Christ, but wants us there with him in worship, in fellowship, to comfort and to encourage us. You see, we can't feel like we have to earn our way in, that I have to be good. We only get there because of Christ, the great high priest, the one who shined down on Melchizedek. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And in blessing Abraham, he blessed his grandson, Levi, And then he breasts his great-grandson, or more than that, because 
I, I guess I could have looked this up, but I didn't. How many generations are in the 400 years in Egypt? Because that's then when Abraham, I mean, not Abraham, when Aaron is blessed and chosen by God. But it all goes back to Melchizedek, blessing, receiving the tithes. <coughs> and all of that is modeled after Christ's blessing and being there through the person of Melchizedek. As it says in 7.3, but resembling the Son of God. That's who Melchizedek was. He resembled the Son of God. He was a priest forever. Now, what's a priest do on Monday morning? Priests go out and they, they help people. They care for people. They care for the poor. You see them administrating mercy. Because what you have in, even just in the family, not just the Levi's, but in the family of Aaron, not everybody works in the temple. They are out in the villages and places where they have their share among other tribes. But you see, we don't live that way in Christ because all of us are priests. And see, as a priest, I want to go and join with other priests, men and women, boys and girls, go with people in worship God together. That's the first thing we do as priests, is we worship. And in that worship, we recognize that we are in the Holy of Holies, we are where God is. And then when we live our lives among our neighbors as priests, we represent God in his mercy, in his holiness. I told you the story, and I read more stories about Christians who have stayed behind to help people in that part of Syria that Turkey has invaded to protect them not in a military sense, but to protect them because they're too old to move, they're too sick to move, they're too poor to move. But they are there to care for them as Christians. You see, Christians did that during the plague where they would stay and take care of the sick. You know, the plague came back and came back and came back. They've done studies. Those who stayed and survived, and then their children or grandchildren stayed and survived, they built up healthy immune systems that people who fled did not have. That God in some ways had protected them in the midst of the plague. We need to be willing to risk the safe life that most modern people want to care for other people as Jesus came into our world to care for us. 
And we have to remember the context of Abraham and Melchizedek. This was after what is described in the book of Hebrews as a great slaughter. Battles were very personal. What we call close and up front. They were hand to hand. So when you survive, when you win, you have that sense that God has blessed me and was with me. And it's hard sometimes to talk about that. But yet, we need to see ourselves as priests. This is one last thing. That we are the children of the covenant of promise. And we are blessed. When you read this passage, those are two things that you can get up on Monday morning as you face the week and say, I am a child of the covenant. I'm a child of promises. I'm a child who has been blessed by the God who loves me. Let us pray.